welcome to the Enter Player 2 podcast. I'm Nicole McFall and I'm joined by Player 2, Carl Murray. We discuss anything and everything about the world of games. Our show features deep dive discussions where we answer the questions that have all been on our minds, as well as that, we're going to go head to head in the Game of the Week showdown. Today we are going to discuss the Ubisoft Ford event and share our thoughts and opinions on what is to come. A few weeks ago we decided to cover the Sony showcase of upcoming games for the PS5 and the PS4. Naturally we want to do the same for Nintendo and Xbox which should be coming in the next few weeks. We made the decision to cover Ubisoft for a number of reasons. We felt that they had enough big franchises that people are interested in plus they had a lot of information on upcoming titles as well. Plus we are very excited for these games and as you all know Nicole is a massive Assassin's Creed fan. Hoorah! <laughs> Are you excited for the new Assassin's Creed game? Yes, I'm very excited for Valhalla, and you're also a massive Viking fan, so it only makes sense that we both purchase this game and don't leave the house. Agreed? Yeah, I, I agree on that. That's why I was going to ask later on about um, what we were looking forward to, because we don't actually have predictions, because instead of them being like, oh, uh, we're not going to tell you, Ubisoft were like, nope, here's what we're going to be covering in the event. We're going to be covering this game, this game, and this game. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I'm most looking forward to, especially with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I'll not get into it too much because we'll discuss it later on, is that obviously the history period is very different, but it's kind of like a mixture of Norse mythology as well as Saxon mythology. And then they've also got a lot of mechanics that are sort of changing to go with the Viking raid culture that we have. So I think it's going to be really interesting. They're taking it a different direction, which is what they've been doing for a while since Origins. Um, retrospectively. And do you prefer this new type of style of gameplay? You know, it's been very consistent from Origins to Odyssey and now to Valhalla. And, you know, say, for example, if you're looking back at sort of the jump from Assassin's Creed 2 to Assassin's Creed 3, do you prefer that sort of linear, you know, same open world style gameplay, but adding to the previous game instead of completely changing it? I completely understand what you're saying in terms of linear. One thing I have to respect of Ubisoft is it's a conglomerate of different teams that have different diverse perspectives um, in terms of the ethnicities and cultures that make the Assassin's Creed games just so amazing. In terms of it being linear, I would disagree with that to a certain extent because with each story, there's a different take on it. But um, I would also maybe agree certain elements in that it's grown. Assassin's Creed 2 will always be, for many people, their favourite. And I don't know if that's just the character of Ezio just grew on us so much. Assassin's Creed 3 was overly ambitious in terms of what it tried to achieve, that it almost lacked complete depth and character in the Assassin itself. It wasn't a complete failure in the retrospect that a lot of the stuff that they tried out previously has made its way and filtered its way in. So the first few games, we really enjoyed them because the combat systems were just so stylistic. The countering system, the cinematic scenes, that's something that I'm starting to see come back into Valhalla. But the survival aspect, the hunting, knowing the land and roaming around there, having a bit more of an in-depth map, that came from Assassin's Creed 3. And then obviously we have the boat system that came from Black Flag. The list goes on and on. There's just things that worked in the Assassin's Creed franchise that they kept and then things they just cut out. But Valhalla's also taken another step in that it's starting to say, right, we have this sort of um, parallel between the Assassins and the Templar. It works throughout history. Let's add another layer. 
let's make it about the assassin helping build a tribe, invading lands, being an aggressor as opposed to somebody defending or rebelling. So I think that'll be really interesting. There's a wee bit of a dynasty warrior vibe going in there in yeah. terms of going out, getting involved in the war zone, breaking down the walls of these amazing Saxon castles. And that's just something I'm really looking forward to. For example, another example, I'm just sort of going on around here with um, Odyssey, which you know I really enjoyed. I like the fact that you could have the gender dynamic at the start of your story, which is yeah. something they kept. So you can see that there's things that worked and didn't work, but they grew and they kept and they just keep trying to make it different, which is what I find personally interesting. But I'm also a massive history nerd, so there's always going to be a reason why I enjoy those games. Yeah, I wasn't too sure whether in the previous Assassin's Gate Creed game that depend on whether you chose a certain gender you're only t- able to do like certain things or it looks like in this it doesn't really matter what your gender is you know it's just a, a player preference at this point because you know regardless you know you're still going to be called uh, I- IVR I think it is oh, sorry I'm Ebor? saying that wrong yeah <laughs> so it, it doesn't really matter whether you're a male or female but yeah let's let's talk more about that later on in the podcast let's actually get into the main conference because we have lots to talk about but before we get into the main show there actually was a leak that came out days beforehand Ubisoft really do suffer a lot of these leaks unfortunately and as we were talking there the new Assassin's Creed Valhalla was actually leaked a few days before it was revealed as well and now the news Far Cry unfortunately suffered the same fate do you think these leaks are happening on purpose or do you think that you know it's just somebody's mucking up do they kind of spoil the surprise of the reveal i want to put my tinfoil hat on here i think sometimes there genuinely is somebody who is slipping through the cracks but because of this whole corona nonsense any publicity is good publicity and sometimes those big names do take that sort of step forward and maybe try a PR stunt. The only sort of franchise I think would that's so conservative by its principles who would maybe not ever even think of leaking it on purpose would probably be Nintendo. So maybe, maybe. I completely agree with you on that point. I'm going to have to get my tinfoil hat on and say that they leak it on purpose because there's no way that it can be that bad at getting information out. They're doing it to generate hype and it's all a ploy, I believe. So moving on, let's get straight into Watch Dogs Legion, which was the first game that was shown during this press conference. There was a cinematic trailer to get us all hyped at the start, and then it dove straight into the gameplay. You know what? I cannot get enough of these cinematic trailers. I think they're really cool, and I really like the artistic take that the director took on it. I think it was sort of an appreciation of the sort of concepts that they're really going with it in the game. Do you want to go into that a wee bit more? I seem to really enjoy the cinematic trailers that Ubisoft are coming out with. You had the Assassin's Creed one not too long ago, and you had the two ones in this one as well. You had the Watch Dogs Legion, and you had Far Cry at the end, but we'll get into that later on. I enjoyed the whole taxi taxi man aspect where you know you're not really involved and then he's told you know that they came for the politicians they came for the normal people like the street artists and you know they eventually were going to come to him so it was only a matter of time before he joined the resistance what aspects of the trailer did you enjoy the cinematic trailer yeah i really enjoyed the fact that i don't know it's just sort of had this you know, London was built in so many thousand years, but then it just went straight into this apocalyptic, postmodern, bit of a Brexity vibe, overly dogmatic political atmosphere. Yeah. I really like the sort of uh, angle that they took with that, but I really like that there is that sort of 
passive witness the to London basically just being torn limb by limb by the Albion private army. And he more or less just said, if I don't speak up for these guys, there's not going to be anyone left enough. <laughs> there's not going to be anyone left to speak up for me. And I just really thought it was very clever the way they went to that sort of I wouldn't say chavy, but that sort of, you know, cockney English. We all like meet up in the pub and join the resistance and fight the pigs. I thought that was pretty cool. But I also have to say that in terms of the cinematic trailer, it does do justice to the sort of depth and detail that a lot of the level designers have made. I think London's going to look spectacular um, in, in postmodern apocalyptic Watchdogs Legion. <laughs> if you can make it, it look any more spectacular, but it's got that sort of neo-punk vibe, which a lot of games are falling into the trap of, you know, that sort of cyberpunk aspect. But Watchdog is, Watchdog's always has always been innovative in terms of the technology it tries to bring in. So... The cinematic trailer gave us a little bit more of a dramatic turn on it, but there was plenty of gameplay to back it up. So we got some more story info about the gangs we're expected to run into during the game. So there's kind of like a, a syndicate underground gang, and then there's these like mercenaries that have been brought in to kind of keep the peace. And we had a sequence where it showed us the same mission over and over, but how you can approach it from a different angle with the dependent on the person who you recruit. So every single NPC in the game is completely recruitable. That is one of the main gameplay mechanics. And depending on whether or not they want to join this resistance that you're part of, they will have different recruitment missions. So say, for example, like a, a construction worker might, you know, be wanting to join the resistance. So you'd be able to do one mission for him. But whereas one of the mercenaries, you know, we may have to do two or three to actually get them on board and into the resistance. What do you think of the game so far? The winning formula for the Watchdog series is that you can always engage with the environment and be able to control it around you. But I think it's interesting now that they've sort of took it away from the cell phones and the gadgets that are around you and you're able to just basically pick someone off the street, whether it be a construction worker, uh, Granny Annie next door, or a police officer or an Albion um, agent itself. It's, It's really interesting that you can just sort of develop a portfolio for different characters that have different strengths and weaknesses that can make your gaming experience very bespoke tailored even there really is a lot of freedom for how you can play this game originally when they first showed it it was like oh by the way if your character dies in the game that's you that's them finito you cannot play with them ever again but then it turns out i was watching the after show and they were showing some gameplay or talking a wee bit more about it i can't remember if it was giant bomb or if it was somebody else that i was watching but it came up and they said they played the game and it turns out that there actually is a mode to turn on so you can put on permadeath mode but say for example if your character if you don't have it on and your character does die in a battle they will literally either wake up detained or wake up at a hospital which i think is kind of a bit cheap considering they showed at the start going yeah by the way your character dies and now it's like oh no that's a button that you need to toggle on but i can understand if people get really really you know attached to a certain character and they don't want to lose that person but i think maybe playing the permadeath mode would make it very interesting indeed there was a key word you said there and you said cheap and i think you are entitled to that opinion, but to a certain extent, you have to realize that whilst they're showcasing these games, they're very much still in the development stage. They haven't released them, and they've probably released it out to sort of the press or beta testers, 
even and it might have the permadeath mode might have not what's interesting to begin with probably fell short of the expectations of what people wanted and I, I completely agree with your saying that you would get attached to characters i know yourself that if you're playing a, a game with a massive cast like uh smash bros or something like that you, you get very attached and you're able to work their style into your own sort of career within the game so yeah i would i would say that you know don't make big promises you can't keep but also be realistic about it. I really want to get attached to my assassin character and also Mickey, the local guy from your pub. <laughs> he reminds me of that chavy kid from the Bully game in PS2, do you remember? Yeah, I do. And hopefully we'll get a sequel for that game at some point in the next 10 years if Rockstar decide to make anything other than GTA. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, right into the show. Get a, a petition going for Bully sequel too. Speaking of sequels and more games coming up, we got a few short clips that came after the Watch Dogs gameplay. So there was Bra- Brawlhalla. It's kind of like uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> I don't oh, know if there's there's like a, a correlation there, but it's a free fighting game. Uh, no wonder I it's free it's, with a name like Vaka in the bin. Brawlhalla. Where it's free to it? start. <laughs> to start? They're going to start charging you? Okay, I'll leave you alone. I'll stop roasting you. Tell me about yeah, the game. so it's free to start, um, and then you can pay for characters. I think I played it once or twice. It is fun, but the fact is, it's coming to now to Android and iOS. I believe it was on a console and it was on PC. I only ever played it on PC, and it's a fun enough game. But I don't think it kind of stands up there with the rest of the fighting games. It's it seems okay. It's coming to mobile now on iOS and Android on august 6th so i would pick it up it's free to, it's free to play you know so or free to start even so pick it up see what you think but it's not really worth it in my opinion maybe a, a hack and slash or if you or not hack and slash maybe just a, a beat them up with friends maybe download on your console and see what it's like there was a cinematic type trailer for tom clancy's elite squad and that's a mobile game that takes characters from rainbow six six rainbow six sorry uh, Ghost Recon, The Division, and Splinter Cell, and puts them into a 5v5 battle. So if you've ever played the mobile game Marvel Strike Force, it's kind of like that. It's literally a turn-based strategy game where the character on the left attacks somebody on the right, then somebody on the right attacks someone on the left. And it's, you know, it's a boring enough game, and you'll probably have to pay or be very, very grindy to get those characters that you really want. You're, you're a fan of Marvel Strike Force yourself, are you not? I was a fan of it, but then it got to the point where I was playing it every day. They added so much to the game that I didn't want to participate anymore. It got a chore, and I never really enjoyed it. Okay, I get what you're saying. In terms of Brawlhalla and the Tom Clancy's Elite Squad, we can see that a bit of the mobile gaming culture is starting to sort of invade the space of these press releases. Even the likes of Nintendo had its own sort of exclusive Pokemon game, which was interesting enough, but there is a market there. There is people who just enjoy that pick up and play compulsion. And some people are strategists, some people are collectors. Um, but don't let the grinding get grind you down, right? I would try it out and see what you think of it. But if you don't want to spend in-game money, and if if they have enough characters to even be able to cover the whole of Tom Clancy, so I, I've never played any of these games. I've played Rainbow Six once, never played The Division, so I don't know what characters are actually going to take to put into this. I think it's an interesting enough concept. I would be especially 
excited to see Splinter Cell involved in mobile gaming. I think that's a really alien sentence in itself. But I, I think there will be a few casual gamers that may get involved. Um, to say there isn't a market there would be a bit ignorant. Speaking of characters that were included in that game, we also got Rainbow Six Siege afterwards. We got an update on how the game was going and we got a nice uh, thank you from the devs for the player support over the past few years there was a really great montage of moments from when the game first launched and everybody was like yay we finally did it to the competitive scene at a grand final of a major tournament and it showed the community and the competitive around the game and how much that people really adore this and they're going to keep constantly updating it they're going to show more love and like they said they're just getting started have you watched the rainbow six siege tournament before I've never watched any tournaments, but I've watched gameplay of the likes of Shroud playing it before, and he really got into it. He really sold me on it. And then I've listened to a few podcasts where they talk about playing it. So I think there's a guy, and he plays with his two brothers, and they say like it's a good way to engage. And they play on consoles, and other people play on PC. So there's a nice like market across both consoles and the the PC. Ubisoft came a bit late to the battle royale scene with this next game they showed off the new game uh hyperscape i think it's called with lots of new features and lots of background lore <laughs> into the cinematic trailer <laughs> what are you laughing at <laughs> i'm laughing because this is one of the other cinematic trailers that we forgot to mention uh, i completely went over my head did it hyper escape you <laughs> yeah it did it, it was okay it it looks like it's going to be very interesting compared to like find out more of the lore and I think that as the seasons go on they will eventually try to build and add that lore the way kind of Apex Legends did or the way Fortnite kind of did it as well where they'll change the map due to a certain event occurring or they'll add this character in like it's I don't know it's they're trying to build their own world and franchise around it. The cinematic trailer was pretty damn cool I'll give you that. But I have two things to say. As soon as I saw Hyperscape, I thought, right, this is basically Fortnite and Overwatch have had a love child, stuck on a VR headset, and they've entered the world of Enter Player, already Player 1. I was going to say Enter Player 2. Jeez, nearly roasted myself. Yeah, uh, we're, we're not like that. We're, we didn't <laughs> We didn't get our name after that movie, which or that book even, which there's going to be a sequel to it. I've never even seen the movie yet, so I wouldn't even know if I am plagiarizing it. Anyway... I also find that trying to shoehorn lore into was basically just a battle royale um, game mechanic. It's, it's it's difficult. It's awkward. It's you have to be really subtle about it. I think the way the Apex Legends do it is very nice. Where I think they have an announcement trailer and they kind of the devs talk them through you know why they built this character, what their background is, who they've interacted with, and how they kind of fit into the world. It's a nice bit like that and they have comics and stuff like that and i think it was the same with overwatch as well there's a lot of lore and i think kind of building that world is what gets fans and captivated in it and that's what gets them caring about the game in the first place i think it's really if it goes along the sort of like same lines as apex and overwatch i think it will do a fantastic job and i am actually really excited to play it myself um i also kind of feel like we saw a bit of an insight into the sort of love and compassion that the developers put into the sort of character designs. So hopefully that sort of, you know, minute, um, articulate way of, you know, conveying the characters within their environment will speak 
in volumes with the actual lore that's attached to it. I hope it just doesn't become one of those pay-to-play, you need a DLC to keep it fresh. I think it will have the battle pass, which means that players can most likely play this for free, and then they can buy the battle pass, which means they can get cosmetics and unlocks. Uh, the whole thing about Battle Royale games is that it's always cosmetics in those um, those battle passes instead of, you know, okay, you pay, you get XYZ, which will help you win the game. You know, it's it's better that way, and I think it means the devs keep going. So, say, for example, this game comes out, it's free to play, and it does two rounds of game passes, and or battle passes even, and it doesn't go that well, doesn't sell well, then, you know, developers can go, oh, okay, maybe we can put this to bed or change things up. Yeah. The game does really try to stand out compared to other Battle Royale games and it's taken a unique twist by having these hacks, is what they're called, and they're more or less special abilities and they allow you to like teleport or turn into a giant ball and bounce around the place. <laughs> yeah, like I know I know they're trying to be quirky. It's hard to refresh uh, Battle Royale uh, mechanics because it's basically the same formula rewrote a few times. I think it from a glance it looks like a beautiful game i just hope that they don't try to overcomplicate it by having too many features that it distracts itself from what it basically is you know when it was going through the glitches and it was going through a lot of different um ways that you can sort of customize your experience you don't want it to become so overwhelming that it almost becomes like a chore to just to get navigate yourself through it yeah exactly and if you want to try out this game by the way it is an open beta right now on pc so you can go and download that at the time of this recording uh i think we're going to maybe go and download it and try it out and if you want to ask us how we felt about it or what we thought about it uh, you can send us an email and we can talk about it next week <laughs> yeah definitely do i'll have a wee beta test sounds good the game next that nicole is most excited for which is assassin's creed valhalla I want to point out that there was an extended look at the actual gameplay after this conference, so I can talk a wee bit more about this. There was an extra 30 minutes of footage that was shown, and it shows off the world, new returning mechanics, and the consequences of your actions. But personally, I feel like this game is going to focus more on your character as a Viking instead of an assassin. What do you think, Nicole? That's that's a bit of a strong statement. I think it's there's going to be... A delicate balance of both. I just don't feel like the game play footage and the cinematic trailer was really able to convey that because obviously we have all know what an assassin game looks like. Now with this take of Valhalla, they're really just selling it hard on this is the br- brutal world of a Viking. So I don't know, hopefully like the game mechanics doesn't sidetrack itself from the narrative that usually composes these games. Well, they said that, you know, they, they have a reason for moving from Norway to England and it's due to, you know, the political pressure and the lack of resources and they're just here to build a settlement, you know. Fair enough, they may have to go to raid and pillage, but that's only because they're made to feel unwelcome. So obviously that's a, a you know, a retaliation, but they're not going around and, you know, assassinating people for the sake of it. I feel like they're, you know, this is being brought on to them. It's like, oh, we're just here to build a house, you know, even though we haven't got plan permission, but please don't do that. And they're like, nope, we're going to come here and we're going to knock your house down. So they're like, right, okay, we got to retaliate because that's just the, the natural instinct if we want to be able to build a, a good settlement. 
Yeah, because generally when we think of the Templars, we think of, okay, the Templars that do the raids go around, they invade every other country within the planet. Um, so it's different for the assassin side of it to be like, okay, we're hopping on our boats and we're bringing the party to you. It's a bit different in terms of being the aggressors, which I think is really interesting. But I think that the way that they've engaged with the environment and the way that they've been able to really sophisticate the combat system is more assassin than it is Viking. I know that Vikings were notoriously amazing warriors, but the fact that you can dual wield and the fact that you can sort of customize the way with which you are able to sort of fight your different enemies, and I just think that that's more assassin than it is Viking. I can agree that, you know, the enemies and the combat system have really been overhauled for this game. So it means, you know, your attacks are more brutal. I suppose they could say, oh, you know, it's a Viking type method. And even <laughs> the even the new weapons that they're using, such as, you know, uh, harpoons and throwing axes and dual wielding even uh, your shields together. Um, I feel like that's more a Viking, but yeah, you have I feel the, like you have the there was blade. one scene in the whole trailer which you were just like, put your hood on, <laughs> and walked along. It's like, yeah, basically, you're not supposed to be in this town because nobody likes you. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of like the assassin's part there where you can choose what way you want to go in. But one of the things that it kind of touched on here, and I suppose we can kind of compare whether it's an assassin or more like a, a Viking, was the massive castle assaults that we saw at the start of this gameplay uh, trailer and it reminds me very much of the assaults from shadow of war where you know you pull up with your crew in your boat you go in there and you know you're just going to attack everybody and, yeah you've got there's an objective that you have to go and like save somebody or assassinate somebody so that way you can you know take that settlement or have an ally in that region when we talk about the vikings or you might want to call it the vikings creed at this point that is the sort of nature of what they did and that is what dominates in history but as a gaming mechanic it was still part of the Assassin's Creed lore. Even in the very first one with the Altair year there was still those watchtower points. You had to basically dominate the territory, get rid of the Templar influence which is in other words for the political pressure within the sort of fractioned country. So you were picking it off one by one and knocking off the little kingpins on the chessboard. So in a way, the mechanic is still true to what it is meant to be. Okay, I think I can agree with you on that. So let's say that the massive castle assaults are assassins, and let's say that you know pillaging and looting is Vikings then on the smaller villages. <laughs> okay, okay, right. Let's agree to disagree on this, and let Valhalla speak for itself when it comes out. And now we're on to the final game that was revealed, which is Far Cry 6. And this gameplay reveal, or the cinematic trailer, as we like to put it, unfortunately leaked before the event. The Spanish trailer made the rounds on social media, I want to say, 24 hours before Ubisoft Forward actually came out. I specifically remember seeing somebody say that they can't wait to see the grenade scene in English. And I was like, mm, okay, let, let me think about this. Giancarlo uh, Esposito, famous for playing Gustavo Fring in Breaking Bad, is going to be the main filling in Far Cry 6. And boy, does he deliver such a performance in this. If you've ever seen Breaking Bad, it is the exact same character, except he's playing a 
a character who wants to restore the nation of Yarrow to its former glory. He is El Presidente, and there's a revolution going on because people don't like the way he runs his country. And it looks like he's trying to turn his son to follow in his footsteps as well. But, oh, that, it gave me shivers just to see this trailer. What did you think, Nicole? Can I just say one thing? That your Spanish pronunciation was stellar. You did a good job there. <laughs> yeah, I went. I specifically went and made sure that I knew how to pronounce his name because he is a, an amazing actor and I wanted to do his name justice. <laughs> yeah, no, but honestly, the cinematic trailer was absolutely amazing. Um, they did justice to him, and not only in the way he voice acted, but the way that he's been able presented in that trailer, it just looks like he's just came walked out of a set of Breaking Bad. But I wouldn't say former glory of, because it's kind of symbolic of the cuban crisis that they had you know with guerrilla warfare he's more of a dictator type of individual i haven't played too many of the far cry games so i don't know if this is a step in the right direction or a completely different direction entirely what's your experience comparing it to far cry 5 where you were in the middle of an america and you had to fight a sort of cult town you know you're trapped there and you were running around with a a grizzly bear called cheeseburger i think this is going to be a different tone <laughs> and a different game altogether yeah it's a it's got it's gotten very intense and very dramatic it almost feels like a netflix movie just about to happen i actually kept guessing whenever the cinematic trailer's coming on i was like it's my case is it narcos is it this it's just it was very intense um, and I think it's a, a, step, a step in the right direction, if I'm completely honest with you. I have noticed, though, that with a lot of the Ubisoft games, the main thing that keeps coming across to me is rebellion, but also diversity in rebellion. So you can stop me if, if I'm going far too far here, but with Watch Dogs, Legion, and uh, I was about to say Vikings Creed, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and now with Far Cry 6, there is a lot of guerrilla warfare, revolutionized, you know, populations. And it's it's pretty interesting that it's sort of taken that commentary in the current political atmosphere. So Ubisoft are doing a great job, I think, in terms of telling interesting stories, especially with that being the general feeling these days. You have three big franchises that are kind of taking that same narrative, but, are, you know, are doing across different time periods or different settings so you know Watch Dogs Legion in London in you know a couple of years time we don't know when this game is taking place for Far Cry 6 but you can guess it's probably um I want to say around the 70s recent. 80s I, rec I reckon it's recent actually yes you are right because of the the lighter that he was holding there I think that's probably recent as well and then of course the Assassin's Creed in, in the Viking era they're all um, free, very unique and distinct, but they capture that essence and that theme very nicely. And I think that's what gets you know gamers hooked altogether. Do you think that this Far Cry 6 game is going to be about the development of the son as El Presidente? Or do you think it's going to be the downfall of his very bespoke Breaking Bad character? I think that it might possibly switch between... Uh, both of them maybe like you know maybe this the young boy is the person who becomes the new el presidente and if you noticed in the trailer he was building that car at the start and at the end of it there was like a, a bigger car the, the exact same Fire. model burnt out yeah so i don't know whether it's you know that's a symbolize of his sort of 
uh, what's the word for it? Your Pays innocence. Yeah, his, his innocence, innocence been lost. Yeah, going up in smoke because uh, the trailer cut when he was about to drop that grenade. So, you know, I think that it's he could be the next hill president there and he could follow in his followers' footsteps. And I think that's what the story could be about. I think the sort of parallel you made between the model car and the burnt out car was a really interesting comparison, but also because it's based in Cuba, a lot of the vehicles that you know are part of that industry were sort of 50, 1950s based, so that is very symbolic of Cuba. So I, th- I do think it's going to be the sort of you know destruction of innocence, but the sort of organized chaos of the Cuban crisis. And overall, what did you think of the press conference as a whole? Do you think that it finished strong on Far Cry 6 reveal that we already knew was coming? Or do you think this was a okay sort of press conference? I think that Ubisoft press conference was really focused. It didn't dilly-dally too much with um, sort of B-rated indie-based games. And it kept it very serious. There was a very serious tone. There was no sort of comedic... Um, after effect but i thought it was up there with the future of gaming obviously there was no console release but it brought the big titles that we were all waiting for far cry 6 was a surprise to me i actually didn't see the like maybe i'm just not on the internet often enough i'm just looking up memes <laughs> I, I thought it was a strong press conference overall which showcased a lot of great and promising games I think that in this press conference there was something for everybody, you know, from Watch Dogs to Assassin's Creed to Far Cry to even uh, Hyperskip, you know, there was something for everyone and I think that's what makes it great and I think that there will be Ubisoft future in the next few months and if there is going to be more content then we're obviously going to cover it but i think this is going to be the future you're going to see companies like ubisoft uh, doing these conferences from now on and whether or not they're going to be the free next year will be a completely different question now we're going to move into our game of the week showdown Hello and welcome to the Game of the Week Showdown. The rules of the showdown are simple. Both players pick a game they support that fit the bill for a specific theme for this week. Both will then battle against one another in an animated debate to see which game comes out on top. The three categories to focus on are plot, mechanics, unique appeal. The winner picks the theme for the week and takes home the championship title for that week. Games used once may never be used again in upcoming showdowns. This week, fighting games. Before we get into this Game of the Week showdown, I just want to say that last week there was a bit of controversy about whether I should have won or not, so we decided to put it up on our Facebook, and it seems like you guys agreed with me that Russ should have taken the victory, so we have decided to amend last week, so instead of it being free to to Nicole for to Terraria, uh, we've awarded it to Rust, and now it is free to, to me. Okay, Russ went bust, but I'm going to beat you this time around. Yeah, well, that's why I was going to say that the game that I've chosen this week is a great fighting game. And, you know, I could have chosen Rivals of Ether. I could have chosen Injustice 1 or 2. But because of my loss last week, 
I decided I wanted to come in hard. I want to come in strong, and I didn't want to lose this week. <laughs> but so, you didn't lose last week. <laughs> I know, but that's before um, we realized that. That's before we we talked and said, "Okay, uh, I'm going to give you the victory." So I had this already prepared, and then when we were recording this, we were like, "Oh yeah, let's let's maybe uh, care about the vote that we put out last week." <laughs> so I went with Super Smash Bros. Ultimate for. The Nintendo Switch. Do you know what you are? What am I? You are an absolute chancer because you just picked these big, blockbuster, bombacious, massive titles and be like, um, yeah, so I picked pick this game this week because I like it. <laughs> well, I do Super like Smash Bros. Ultimate is a beast of a game and I'm going to have to beat it down and it's going to be so hard because there's what, like 50 odd characters? No, there's actually, no, I won't tell you the total until later on. I don't want to give you an advantage of how many fighters there is. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to let you go first. Okay, so let me get straight into the plot. My game actually does have a plot. This game has a story mode called The World of Light. The narrative begins with an evil entity destroying the Super Smash Bros. world, vaporizing nearly all of the characters. And uh, the one person that survives is the one and only Kirby. So the player must explore the ruined world to rescue the captured uh, fighters and the spirits by completing these marked challenges. And so there's a boss fight at the end. And I really enjoyed the story for whenever you destroy the first evil entity, a second one takes its place and plunges the world into an even more uh, deeper darkness. And then once you defeat him, the two of them decide to go to war against each other and then you have to beat both of them. So it's interesting and there's some cutscenes and it's it's an awesome uh, story mode. Sorry man, I don't mean to be I don't mean to be putting you down, but deeper darkness, where did you get that? A uh, Wikipedia. World of Light is a really good story mode, I will give you that. Um I still think that Super Smash Bros. Melee is the best change my mind. No, I'm not going to because you what have you chosen? So the game I've picked this week is Dragon Ball Z Budokai 3. Ooh. Yeah, it's one of my favourite games. I played it as a kid and to be honest with you, it's timeless in many aspects. I know a lot of people who played the Dragon Ball series would probably say that Dragon Ball Budokai 3 and Dragon Ball Tenkanachi Budokai 3 are probably one of the best ones out there. Um, I, I've currently played Dragon Ball Z Kakarot and it has a lot of promise, but Budokai 3 is probably up there in my top three for fighting games alongside the likes of um smash bros tekken 3 and mortal kombat and what console is this game for so dragon ball z budokai 3 is basically it's a fighting video game based on the popular anime series dragon ball z and it was released on the ps2 um, it was developed by Dimps and published by Atari and was released in 2004, so it's actually quite an old game. It's about 16 years old, which is uh, <laughs> the typical age for a moody teenager. In terms of the plot, Budokai 3 takes place on a world map called the Dragon Universe. This mode consists of 11 playable characters travelling around Earth or Namek during the four main sagas of Dragon Ball Z. The Saiyan Saga, the Frieza Saga, the Cell Saga, also known as the Cell Games, and the Majin Buu Saga, while in the other game modes, um, the various characters are unlocked by completing required tasks. For example, Dr. Jiro is unlocked by defeating Dr. Jiro with Yamcha and the Android Saga. So kind of like unlockable characters with some achievements 
which is pretty cool. In terms of the plot, the Dragon universe is extremely high level in terms of replayability value and this is probably due to the events in the game potentially changing from playthrough to playthrough. For example, in Goku's first playthrough, the majority of the story sort of proceeds as it does according to the anime. However, in the following playthroughs, some choices can include Goku's fight with Frieza, changing into a fight with Cooler instead, and these choices can even lead to events such as fighting Brawly and Omega, Shenron and Super Buu. So, there's replayability value in that you get to sort of line up fights that you wouldn't otherwise imagine unless it was like in the likes of fan fiction so i think um it's a pretty solid fighting game that appeals to non-dbz fans and that there's so much to it but also every fanboy in the dbz universe goes mad for it because there's just so many characters involved in the plots i think i'm gonna have to give you this one just because the plot is purely transferred from the anime straight into the game. And I think it's a very, very hard thing to do. And I'm kind of a sucker for this. Because if you take a great story and translate that into a video game and you can play that out, it's kind of like watching it, but you know, you're know you able to influence the events that occur. That, that's kind of what hooks me. And I, I understand. I think I played a wee bit of Dragon Ball Budokai 3 like ages ago on an emulator. But comparing it to the World of Light, you know, there's actual storyline, whereas World of Light, you know, you have to reach a certain criteria before you can actually, you know, progress. And I, I really do want to give you this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, also, just sort of for anyone who does look for like Easter eggs in Budokai 3, there, there's some elements in terms of the hidden story reenactment. So there's non-optional battles in story mode that a player can unlock a bonus called story reenactment. And it's only attainable by doing specific conditions. So it's kind of like going to that achievement unlock. Um, but whenever you fulfill those conditions in each battle, like, you know, defeating the opponent within a time frame or using a certain type of item or a certain amount of health, um, then it will be able to give you sort of like different, different like exclusive voice clips as well as more Z points. So it's really interesting that there's the replayability value there's the hidden easter eggs and then there's the alternative sort of fights that most people probably crave in fan fiction and would you say that's maybe a game mechanic <laughs> no there there trust me there is plenty of game mechanics but i i can see what you tried to do there i will go into the game mechanics if you like yes please in terms of the gameplay, Budokai 3 has characters from the DBZ films, GT and Dragon Ball and with that there's loads of new mechanics that have been involved in Budokai 3 so there was the key system, which was very popular in the Budokai games. Um, there was also, you were able to transform and gradually drain key by being knocked down. Um, and there was beam struggle, which you can see is like a solid now in a lot of the DBZ games. For example, when I was playing Kakarot the other day, you saw yourself, Carl, that, you know, you can do a power search, you can bash those buttons and you can give them the Kamehameha that they so rightly deserve. Yeah. <laughs> There's also the new fatigue meter, which was added to the HUD um, with the key gauge. Um, the dodging got very, very good now. Um, it did cost a little key, but if you were able to dodge it, and you're also able to do teleport counters, which if you were a bit of a veteran in Budokai 3, was extremely irritating to noobs. 
because you could just basically dodge everything and anything, but it, it costs quite a bit of key sometimes. Um, there was item capsules, which are probably one of the most uh, popular aspects of the game itself, which really helped you sort of customize your fighting style and different move sets. And there was hyper mode. So by pressing like the likes of the L2, a character enters into hyper mode, which is kind of like rage or surge, as some people know. Um, there was Dragon Rush, there was the Ultimate Attacks, there was even Fusion, you know, like the likes of Gochita and Gotenks, and there was Super Saiyan 4, which many people were excited for. But I think the part that was probably most memorable for me, and now it is now included in most games, is the free flight. So you were able to fly around um, the DBZ universe and go from uh, planet or island to island to planet to level and it was really interesting hmm, that is a, a very solid game mechanic for a, a game built in 2004 <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna lie it's aged well it has yeah and whenever we played it it was fun but now i'm going to get into the mechanics for super smash bros ultimate so you have approximately over 70 characters and that's not counting uh, dlc and each character has a completely different moveset to start off with. So, you know, Mario is going to be different from Luigi. Uh, Breath of the Wild Link is going to be different from Toon Link. Um, you know, there's going to be... Like, Yoshi is going to be different than Solid Snake. So, there's a lot of uh, characters you can play around with. There's a lot of ones you can choose. You have that nice element of choice there. A total of up to eight players can battle on the same screen together at the same time. And in those battles, you can customize how you want to fight as well. So if you want a stock battle, mean you only have three lives, and if you die three times, you're out, you can do that. If you want to have a free-for-all time limit, so the person who gets the most knockouts wins, you can. If you want to have a purely just skill-based battle with no items, yeah, go for it. You want to morph two stages together mid-battle, like every five minutes or every two minutes, you can do that. There's a lot of customizable options within the actual battles which is pretty pretty good and this is just like the start of it this is only like the battle mode the multiplayer mode there is online as well and obviously you can play local multiplayer and you can play with multiple switches as well the fact that you can hook up eight controllers is pretty nuts as well <laughs> uh, there's other modes as well there's a returning classic mode where you try and battle to get the highest score through a series of challenges so each character will have like a certain um, person that they battle depending on the level that you're trying to aim for there's also the home run contest that has came back there's squad strike and there's a tournament mode so the tournament mode is you can put like i think it's a total of 32 battles against each other so that's 32 so 64 characters against each other to see who is the best and yeah i'm not even like starting to scratch the surface you know there's the world of light there's the spirits as well you can customize your own um your own arena if you wanted to it's not as good as the one in uh, smash bros um brawl that their <laughs> that customizer level was amazing uh, but you get some rare rare finds online you can also listen to soundtracks from games as well uh, what else is there? There's loads. There's loads of stuff. You can use your, your Switch as an MP3 player <laughs> for for listening to those songs from really, all the stages. I really like the spirits element. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, the spirits are very good. So spirits kind of give you a, a variety or an advantage 
if you're playing through the world of light or you can do a spirit battle uh, whenever we play it i don't think we've actually used spirits me and you have just went for like a a time limit battle of 10 minutes or a stock battle of 10 lives i believe you completely whenever you said that we haven't even scratched the surface with what uh, ultimate brings but correct me if i'm wrong was there a map building in the likes of brawl that you think maybe ultimate could have i think that's just my user preference to be honest because i like being able to put the the stages up i like being able to have these preset like blocks that you could put so there was like um i think there was kind of like a ferris wheel one that went around you can still do that in this one but it's not doesn't look as nice and i think there's like areas where you can like put solid stuff through like this one is very free flow you know you got to draw off your hand or draw off a stylus type thing which i personally don't like but people have created some amazing uh artworks that we've uh or amazing stages that we've played on it's not yeah, right? well, we've sampled on them yeah there's some really weird ones out there i'm not gonna lie so beyond just that of the mechanics which is overwhelming what's the unique appeal who won the mechanics by the way Ooh. i'll give you the mechanics okay uh, do you want to go first with Unique Appeal or do you want me to go straight into Unique Appeal? Just go for it. Okay. So this game is described as the Avengers of video games. There has never been a bigger crossover in video games than Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Let me run down some of the gaming franchises that are in this game and have their own stage, their own music and own characters included. Super Mario, Legend of Zelda, Pokemon... Donkey Kong, Star Fox, Metal Gear, Castlevania, Street Fighter, Metroid, Banjo-Kazooie, F-Zero, Final Fantasy, Duck Hunt, Animal Crossing. So that is just some of the franchises that are included in this. There's a total of 76 playable characters along with 7 DLC fighters released at the time of this recording. And there's another 5 coming which will bring the total up to 88 fighters. And I have no doubt that they are going to eventually release uh, probably a third pass with how popular that these DLC fighters are. It's This game has a character for everybody. Nicole has her favourite character. I have my favourite character. Um, even my dad has his own favourite character as well. You know, like everybody has their, their favourites and they can go into this game and play as them. But it's the love from the developers that I think that really encapsulates this game. It's a love letter to to gaming culture and gaming franchises that have ranged from the early 90s and it's not even just nintendo games like you have got banjo kasui in there you've got metal gear um you also have uh duck i think duck, duck hunt was actually part of it street sega fighter as well. yeah sega as well i didn't even touch on sonic you know and the fact that we're hearing rumors that um you know doom guy could be in it we're hearing other games you know somebody from xbox could be there but even now as costumes you've got cuphead you've got assassin's creed costume that you can play as even though they're not pardon me playable characters in the game they still have crossovers there so you know like it's just it's a love letter to games and it's the fact that the the, the main developers understand this and they still want to keep developing this they're still creating content for it and there's still events occurring like this is probably the best fighting game even if you're not into fighting games even if you think like nintendo is like childish or whatever this game i think completely takes that away no i completely agree with you i 
Love Letter to Gaiman is probably the best way to explain Smash Bros. Um, and certainly from the way the concept originated back in the 64 days. But when you're saying there were such a wild variety of franchises that are involved in this delicate balance of a really quirky game, there is also a lot of love put into the sort of um, variety of games. So obviously, like there's some classics, there's you know very recent franchises. So you know, yesterday's generation and today's generation could just pick it up and play it. And if they didn't already play the likes of Sega or anything like that, it introduces them to different franchises that they otherwise maybe were a bit ignorant of or sort of skipped their generation. So it's like a one-stop shop for. A game top up. <laughs> Budokai 3 is uniquely appealing because it is a solid fighting game that a lot of non DBZ fans can appreciate, but it's also intensely focused enough in the Z universe that it would get any anime fanboy squealing. So, Budokai 3, one of my personal f- favourite aspects of it is the capsule customization. It's probably one of the most beloved features in the game, and it's simple to understand. Um, it let, lets you fully customise what attacks and transformations the characters have and it also gives you the freedom to tailor characters to the way that you like to play them. Um, maybe you want an aggressive Goku, so you power them up with transformations and attack boots uh, or perhaps you don't need the Super Saiyan 4 form, so you replace it with defensive powers. The choice is really up to you. And Taking the time to alter the capsules of everyone will give you a more interesting and diverse roster. So a lot of other Dragon Ball games for me have tried to implement this, but none of them have been as flexible as the capsule system in Budokai 3. And I think that the game's uniquely appealing in that, yes, you can get lost in the story, but in terms of it being a solid fighting game, you can customise it and fight the way that you want to. I think if we're looking at the level and detail of the customization, I think that being able to customize your own character and kind of fight the way you want is good but what if me and you just want to hop into a game of dbz uh, budokai free right now um, am i able to go in and for example choose goku in the, the multiplayer screen am i able to then swap out his loadout to what i want yeah so basically from what we played last time you would just get up on the main uh roster menu as soon as you click it in you can just go default option or you can customize. So you can just have like a stock general um, sort of addition of, you know, his powerful moves. Or you can customize and be like, oh, I want to do Super Saiyan 1, but I don't want to do Super Saiyan 2, but I want to do Super Saiyan 3. And there's probably about 10 spaces whereby you can customize what techniques you're going to use. Or you can add items, which will make you faster or more powerful. Or you can have a sensu bean. It's, and it's really interesting because it just gives a wee bit more complexity to the fight. So you you might have customized it a certain way that your uh, competitor really wouldn't understand or even expect at that point. So it makes it exciting. There's really an in-depth customization that you can go straight in with that. But like, say, for example, you spent like five, ten minutes there being like, oh, I want to choose this loadout. I want to put this in here and that there. Whereas with Smash Ultimate, you could literally just go that that i want to play as yoshi and then <laughs> that's it you're, you're straight away you're you straight know, you to the races you, you can go straight to the races default from what i said earlier but you yeah. can also do preset move loadout so you can pick and choose you can just do generic goku moves or you can be like i want to be budokai 3 super saiyan 4 
Megazord, you know what I mean? Yeah, you want to make him a, a god where, you know, you're very <laughs> OP and I'm sitting there playing as Krillin, getting absolutely smacked about. Well, if you're playing as Krillin, you're just asking to get smacked about, aren't you? Yeah, of course. Well, not that I would ever play as him, you know. It's it's, it's very hard um, for me because I feel like Budokai puts up a fight, but I feel that in terms of the better game, I think that... You know, like Smash gets constant updates. You know, people they are always tweaking stuff to characters with um, new ones that are added. They're always trying to update it to make it balanced, you know? I also think that Smash, obviously, it being a recent game, like, it's going to have those different, you know, loadouts in terms of DLC packages. Um, but a guy, uh, three, I think, really ages well, all things considered. But the, obviously... Maybe in Japan, but there wasn't Budokai 3 tournaments. You wouldn't see competitive Budokai 3 fights. Yeah, I was about to ask, is Budokai 3 part of any EVO or any of those fighting tournaments at the moment? Is it in the pool? Yeah, no, there is. There's esports earnings, but uh, sort of copped off there in like 2013. Because I understand like for the likes of a Smash Bros game, like Melee and... Uh, the very first one along with uh, Ultimate are, are the three main ones that are still around to this day and I have a feeling that you know um, Ultimate will be around for the foreseeable future because of the impact that it's had. No it's an ambitious game certainly. So who do you think's won this week? I'm going to have to say I'm, I'm going to have to say my game because it is a love letter to, to gaming and I think that if I if I chose Budokai I'd be doing a lot of people a, a disservice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to give you the this week. I think that Smash Bros. Ultimate um, was a sucker punch to the Budokai gut. It was, and I think that next week I'm gonna give you a, a good chance to to maybe come back and you know try and, and regain the lead. It's it's four two at the moment, uh, and I'm gonna give you a, a fighting chance. So the next week's game is going to be game set in the Wild West. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you very much for all your support. Now back to the show. Now it is that part of the show where we answer your questions. If you have any questions, please send them into askplayer2pod at gmail.com. That's askplayer, the number two, pod at gmail.com. The first question has been sent in from Ryan. What are your thoughts? On Assassin's Creed Valhalla, not having any side quests. Oh, do they not have any side quests? Yeah, from what I've heard, um, I feel kind of mixed about it because some of the side quests were really funny. Um, but I know in, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey they got a bit ridiculous, and the the really derailed away from the the narrative a little bit. Do you think that this will kind of streamline the game a wee bit more? Yeah, because when you sort of think about it, the protagonist, Ivor, arrives in England as an invader rather than a native, and it wouldn't really make a lot of sense for people to be going around looking for quests from, you know, random people in these English villages whenever they're basically a foreigner in a very different land. So it only makes sense that they're trying to gather their bearings as opposed to getting lost on the side quests uh, with all these colourful and eccentric characters. Okay, I've just pulled up... uh article here from GameSpot and what you said there is completely relevant to what it says here that you know 
instead of having these side givers that you know that he's going to go and run into they're going to be more like world events so you know you go into like a a village for the first time and you you run into somebody by accident instead of you know going over to this vibrant character with a a question mark above his head (laughs) (laughs) i think we've all learned in many years of gaming don't go towards the stranger with the question mark above their head i think these extra activities that they're kind of talking about will make it feel a lot more natural as opposed to forced upon you and i think that this will be better in the long run for this game assassin's creed valhalla is starting to sound like it's going to be a very very polished and very great game this next question comes in from sandy fight sticks yeah or nay okay what in god's name is a fight stick a fight stick is kind of like you know, whenever you're playing the retro arcade <gasps> yeah. and you're like going back Street and forth Fighter. and pushing yeah. the button. Yeah, so you can actually get like a big massive console version of that. And, you know, you have the buttons there. It's, it's a lot bit bigger. So some people will like play the, with the, the stick on the left and then they'll, you know, tap the, the buttons and they can get a pre-programmed to the way that they want. So personally for me, fight sticks in arcades, yay fight sticks on other games nah but i have seen people play it in professional games uh like a professional uh, sporting events you'll see some people with their own sticks what do you think nicole uh yeah or nay for fight sticks fight sticks um i'm gonna personally say nay only because i'm a massive console player and you know i really just like having that grip on something you know before i sort of like let it rip or have a bit of a rage quit but I have a lot of like respect for people who fight with fight sticks because it's kind of like playing classical guitar. Um, it's true to the way it used to be, um, but I think it would be easier for people who are PC gamers like yourself to really pick it up. And the last question this week is from Emma. Which game are you excited to play that will be released between now and the end of the year? Oh, that is a very, very tough one, especially since Nintendo after this Friday don't have any main for like third uh, or sorry main first party games coming out uh so i will have to go with cyberpunk i was thinking cyberpunk for the longest time but you know what i really want watchdogs legion i think it looks amazing i really hope the game doesn't disappoint because it, it looks really really good i just have heard one or two things that are making me slightly worried about it to tell i've just heard that it could get very stale very quickly and like you know you recruit these npcs but you know they're just bog standard npcs and kind of the game directs you towards these like better uh, npcs with you know better traits and it kind of like shoehorns you in that direction so i don't know i need to to wait and see what uh comes out from it because people have only played two or three hour demos so around we're gonna have to wait and see although in, in saying that though to be fair you haven't really played many Watchdog games, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to chuck you the copies and let you have a wee go, and then we'll see what you think next week. Okay, that seems fair. I'll play it, and then we can come back and talk about it next week. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Enter Player 2 podcast. Make sure to visit us on all our social medias. Links to our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram can be found in the link description. Please be sure to subscribe, and you will never miss a show. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a rating and a review. Log in and join us again at Enter Player 2. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for joining. Bye. Bye.